Men, we're under attack. On every side, evil forces encircle us and they desire to tear down and destroy that which we stand upon. Our families and our faith, our forefathers are being overthrown on every side. And just as in the days of Isaiah, we are witnessing that justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off. Truth is fallen in the streets. And just as it is today, the reason is that there is no man to be found. The question is, how long will we allow this injustice to take place? How long will we relinquish the removal of righteousness? How far will we allow truth to fall in our streets? Where are the men of courage called to fight for the faith? Where are the mighty men who will raise a fist and declare, ENOUGH! Where are the fearless few who race towards giants, who swing jawbones, who crumble walled cities, who plague evil rulers, and who walk on the water? Where are the men who carry crosses? There's no refuting that something must be done as enough is enough, but too often we look at our neighbor. We point to the pastor or we depend upon the deacon to be that man, and as a result of our pointing passive fingers, Truth has fallen in our streets. There's no intercessor to be found in our day. But what if? What if God's plan for every man was to take that stand? What if each man were willing to be God's man in the battle? What if God has called you to be the one to charge the enemy's camp? What if he has commissioned you to boldly believe and fight fearlessly on his behalf? Well, maybe you're thinking, I, I could never. I'm, I'm not strong enough. I, I, I don't know enough. I'm a nobody going nowhere. But consider the explanation of through whom men are called to be valiant that we find in Psalm 60, verse 12. And it says, Through God we shall do valiantly, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. We are calling all men who are ready to return to the resolute and rigid righteousness of our faith. Men who possess a power and carry a courage to stand for God's word in a world bent on destroying it. What we're going to kind of study today, what my... Uh lesson is going to be is kind of the consequence when we don't have that if we don't have godly men um there, there's a consequence for that and and so that's kind of what this is all going to be about as, as the weeks go on and the months go on hopefully you guys will stick with us uh, we are going to do some studies and try to study out what it is to be a godly man to train all of us to be what god has us to be so we can be those those uh, men of god that lead our homes and lead our churches and lead our country um so as we look to the Word of God, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 3. Uh, hopefully you brought your Bible or something to uh, follow along with us. <clears throat> Old Testament Scripture, and uh, you'll, we'll find in the Bible in a few different places uh, that there was times when men just quit being men. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't godly, they weren't leading, they weren't what they were supposed to be. And because they weren't what they were supposed to be, there were some pretty uh, severe things that happened. And uh, boy... We're going to read through this, and as we read this Old Testament uh, scripture that is thousands of years old, uh, we can kind of look in the mirror, and we can look at the United States, we can look at our churches, we can look at our homes, and we can see that because men aren't 
what they're supposed to be often, it, it is uh, evidencing itself uh, throughout our society. So <clears throat> we'll read, um, we'll read uh, start verse number one if you found it, Isaiah chapter three. And we're just going to read uh, the first eight verses here and maybe, maybe we'll reference some of the other verses uh, th- throughout the chapter. For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doeth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer. Artificer, artificer, whatever that is, and the eloquent orator, I will give children to their princes, and babes shall rule over them, and the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child shall behave himself proudly because of the ancient, and the base against the honorable. <clears throat> when a man shall take hold of his brother, of the house of his father, saying, Thou hast clothing, be thou our ruler, and let this ruin be under thy hand. And in that day he shall swear, saying, I will not be a healer, for in my house is neither bread nor clothing. Make me not a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem is ruined, and Judah is fallen, because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of, of his glory. And the rest of the chapter kind of follows the same theme. We'll, we'll, we'll not read it all here. We may reference it. Uh, but if you, if you kind of understand what's going on, uh, the, prophet is, the prophet Isaiah is telling them uh, the, the country, the nation of Israel, the families, the churches, everything is kind of uh, collapsing because there aren't enough men of God. Uh, the title uh, of my lesson is When Men Fail. Uh, when men fail to do what they're supposed to do, um, it, it has a great consequence on everything else. So I kind of like to just look at these verses and see, uh, real real simple, if you have your, uh, your paper there, uh, a picture without mighty men. If we look at verse number five, um, it says, And the people shall be oppressed, and everyone by another, and everyone by his neighbor. It so the the first uh, hand out there. Are you doing the thing, or am I doing it? You got it. Okay. So so the first uh, the first uh, blank violence is acceptable, <clears throat> and can we see that in our in our um, in our country? Can we see that in our society? That it, it it used to be a time it wasn't okay to to harm someone else. It wasn't okay to harm someone else's property. It wasn't okay to and and it used to be in a day if if someone was doing that there would be men that would stand up and say you're not going to do that here. Even in neighborhoods you you don't you're not going to do that because there were honorable men. And now because men aren't always what they're supposed to. Even in our country we see those that are um, that are that are doing violence and it's acceptable it's uh, and and who would have ever thought we'd come to a time when the government would would say it's okay for people to to be violent and and even try to put their approval on it but do we see that if godly men are what they're supposed to be that's not acceptable and so and that so that's kind of what we're trying to see here is the 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 consequence of not having um godly men same verse number five at the end of the verse it says 
And the child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient and the base against the honorable. I don't know how many of you are are old enough uh, here. I know some of you are older than me, but remember back in the day when um, this is what dad would say? You're not going to talk to your mother like that. Now, when he said that, he wasn't going to talk to your mother like that, you know, because there was going to be a great consequence if you did. I would have never thought of, of back talking my mom or, or anything uh, because dad was there. Now, if mom says you're not going to talk to me that way, what usually happens, especially if you're, if you're a teenage boy, what happens? You're still going to back talk her, right? You're, you're not going to pay attention to mom. But when dad says you're not going to talk to her like that, you ain't going to talk to her like that, right? And, and that's the idea, guys. When, when men are absent... The kids do what they want to do. The teenagers do what they want to do. And, and don't we see that? Don't we see that in our culture, in our, in our churches? Don't we see that in society that when the man is not the man of God, the children start ruling? And don't we see that that's, that that's not okay? <clears throat> so there's violence that is acceptable. There's disrespecting. Um, the youth being disrespectful is acceptable. Um, and the next one... And boy, we, how relevant is this today? Um, in verse number 6 and 7, uh, I just read it, I won't read it again, but, but basically they, they find someone who uh, is not qualified, who's not um, really any, anything any good, and, and one says, well, we're going to make him a leader, he's got clothing. What they're saying is, maybe I can get something from him, uh, even though he's not a good man. So the unqualified and the immoral people are, are accepted as leaders. Um, and boy, don't we see that today. Don't we see that in our government, in our churches, and, and, and in our homes sometimes. People who really are not morally uh, good examples, people who are not um, godly people, people who are not really shouldn't be leading us, um, <clears throat> we'll say we'll put them in a, in a position of authority, we'll put them over us, and, and that's what was going on here. It's because there wasn't godly men to fill those positions and, and as there should have been. So, <clears throat> verse number 12, uh, we didn't read that, but let's, let's drop down and grab verse number 12. <clears throat> As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy path. Children are destructive, and it is acceptable. Uh, Again, we kind of already touched on this, but a lot of that can be tied back to um, the the man just simply not being um, the authority in the home that that will not allow those things to happen. And and, 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 uh, what a... What, a, what an illustration we have of that today, of all the things that are going on. Um, and, you know, the, the youth in our country, I think, we, I think we all know that the youth in our country are, are in, a, in a bad place. They're, they're being led astray by a lot of the universities, a lot of the liberal thinking, a lot of the ungodly thinking. They're, they're being promoted by Hollywood and everything else. The, the younger generation's in trouble. But do you guys understand what, really, what, what causes that? There's not a strong dad at home. Do you guys get that? that? That's why a lot of these, a lot of these kids that go off. Mom was running the home. Dad was kind of absent. They go to a university. Some professor says God's not real and, and He didn't create the world. And then all these liberal thoughts, and they start following those things. A lot of times it's because there wasn't a man there that says no. We're, that's not the way my home's going to go. So it is a very big deal when men are not what they're supposed to be. <clears throat> Same verse number twelve. Uh, we already read it. It says women ru- will rule over us. So that's the, the next slide. Women will ro- rule over us, um, and it's acceptable. <clears throat> now, again, I'm not one to promote, I'm not promoting um, sticking out your chest and, and beating down your wife. That, that's not what this is about, because that's not biblical. 
But the Bible does say that the man is to be in the church. The man is to be uh, the um, the head. The, in the home, the, the man is to be the head. And 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 trust me, that's not always because the man's smarter. Okay, that's not even the idea. The idea is his. Um, he was designed. His emotions and his and everything else was designed to lead the home and do the hard things. The woman was designed to to nurture the children and to and to love the family. Two different. Um, ways they were designed and when the women start to run the homes and run the country and run the churches um, it 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 uh, deceives God's plan it destroys God's plan of man being in leadership and we can see that today and uh, as we've already said you know um, there are a lot of churches where the women have to do everything the women have to run and, and we don't not in our church but in a lot of churches the women are running in church and it isn't even because they believe in women leadership it's because there's no man to do it <laughs> if, if there's no man to do it when that church someone's got to do it so the women will lead and and and, um, and and that causes all kinds of problems uh, that, that we see so um, we need we need godly men we, we need godly men that will be godly leaders that will be examples and 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 what what we're supposed to be <clears throat> uh, still in verse number 12 um, uh, the, the end of verse number 12 it said these which lead thee cause thee to err and destroy the way of thy paths uh, so leaders lead us into error and it is acceptable and boy can't we see that in our country don't we have those in our, in our, in our country that want to lead us the wrong way they say I'm a leader follow me and they lead us away from God and they lead us into all kinds of things that we shouldn't be into but unfortunately that sometimes happens in the church Aren't, aren't there those in the church who are um, leading us into error in the church? We need godly men uh, to, to uh, not uh, allow that to happen. <clears throat> um, verse number 14, drop down and read that with me. Uh, the Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyards and spoiled the poor in your house. So the, the less fortunate are abused, and it is acceptable. Those who, those who can't take care of themselves, those who don't have what they should have, those who, you know, uh, the less fortunate, there are those that are vulnerable in our society. They're often abused or taken advantage of, simply because there's not a man to say, that's not going to happen. So um, <clears throat> getting a real clear picture here of, of what happens when, we're, when we don't have godly men and uh, verse number 16, <clears throat> Moreover the Lord saith, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks, and wandering eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making twinkling in their feet. Uh, th- those are kind of strange King James Version words that maybe we wouldn't use today. But the idea here is, the, the, the idea of haughty is proud, it is arrogant, it is, look at me, look how great I am. And in our society and in, and in, our, in our land, pride and arrogance is acceptable. It, it's okay to just say, look at me, look how great I am, look what I've done. Um, and the Bible says that's real, real dangerous. A godly man is not a proud man, a godly man is a, God, a man who depends on God. So, um, so those are the... Uh, those are the that's a picture of what happens when we don't have mighty men and and now i would like to look at uh just quickly the consequences of no mighty men um if you again in king james language um in verse number one it speaks about the stay and the staff and the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of, uh maybe we don't understand that what's that saying that's saying their economy their their um 
their way of making a living, their, their bread and their food and their, the, the, the things they depend on to live by, they're fallen. So the economy fails uh, when, when, when mighty men um, aren't present. It's the consequence of not having mighty men. And I think we see that. I think we see often that, uh, that our economy uh, can suffer greatly because of uh, a lack of, of godly men. Verse number 23, the glasses... And the fine linen and the hoods and the veils, uh, again, uh, a, a reference to material things. And, and go all the way down, um, actually start at verse 18 down through 23. It, it, uh, I'm not going to read it all to you, but it, it talks about the bracelets and the mufflers and the bonnets and the ornaments and all different things. A little different than we would say, but those are material things. Those are, are, are financial things. And what it's saying is those things are going to crumble because we don't have mighty men. Um, verse 25, it says, uh, Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war. Our military can become weak uh, because of not having mighty men. Now, um, the, our military in the United States has always kind of been founded for, for you know, hundreds of years. It's been, it's been founded on men are supposed to be strong and tough and, you know, do what they're supposed to do. And we've come to a day now where... where um, you know, they tried to bring in homosexuality into the military and, 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 and women uh, fighting and all the different things to do. And, and there, there is a softening of, of what used to be. And, and that is a deterioration of our military. And we know that, thank God, uh, our, our military is more recognized now. But there was a time when our military was kind of disrespected. It wasn't, it wasn't honored and lifted up like it was supposed to be. And these are consequences of not having godly men. Um, Certainly we see our morals fail. And, and as we read through the scripture, we just see that the morals fall because of not having godly men. Do we have any issue in a, uh, America with our morals falling? <laughs> is, is there any problem with that? And, that? and that links back again to not having uh, godly men to stand up and say this is wrong. Uh, this is not acceptable. Uh, godliness ceases. We don't have a godly um, uh, Examples, whether it be uh, leaders in the church or leaders in the home, we don't have those godly uh, men uh, they seize. And, and really, if you read this whole entire chapter, uh, of uh, third chapter of Isaiah, if you read the whole thing, it is a picture of chaos. It is a picture of God not being in charge and there not being godly men and everything just really crumbles. And, and we could take a lot more time and won't waste any more time with it, but... When your economy messes up and your church messes up and your home messes up and your country messes up and your military messes up and everything is messing up, it can all be tied back to if we had godly men, these things would, would be different. So I hope that kind of gives you a little picture of, of why we're doing this men's ministry. Uh, so just like to say a couple words about the men's ministry, why we're doing it, what our hopes are. Um, I just say this, guys. There's a lot on the line. That's what we're trying to. That's what we're trying to show you guys. There's a lot on the line. We need godly men. We need examples. We need uh, men that will stand for what is right, and, and we're in short supply of that. In all honesty, um, so that's what this is about: is trying to get all of us to step up to the plate and, and be. And, and I, by no means, want to make sure. I make sure. I'm not. I'm not saying that. Uh, there's a great group of guys here, and this is not a, a slam on you guys. I'm just saying that, starting with me, we could all do better. We could all be better for what we're supposed to be. And so this isn't a picture of uh, how horrible we are. This is a picture of we want to be better. And, you know, if, if, we were to, if we were all 18, 
I know we're not quite 18 right now, but if we were all 18 and we were to join uh, the military, we might be really strong, tough guys. You know what they're going to say? You ain't nearly strong and tough enough. <laughs> you, you need to be better, right? And they would start to train us to be stronger and, and tougher and how to do uh, fighting and all the things that we would learn. So that's what we're trying to do with this is, is teach us to be godly men. Um, and literally, I don't think this is an exaggeration, literally, the future of our church uh, could depend on what we do in this ministry. If we step up to the plate and what we're supposed to be, we will, as I said, the women are, are, are doing this as well, and, and they're excited to be what they're supposed to be, uh, but they can be all they're supposed to be. If they don't have godly men leading them, it, it, it won't uh, work like God has it planned. So will we take this seriously? Um, Again, we want to train all of you guys to be, uh, and hopefully many, many more, to be what, what God would design us to be. And will we take that serious? Um, everybody likes the breakfast, I'm sure. It was great. It was fun. Good time together. Fellowship. All that's great. Uh, but um, we're going to, uh, after this is over, we're going to give you a little bit of homework. We're going to start a study through a book, and, and we're going to do some things. But will we take this serious? Will you say, I want to be a godly man for my family, for the church, for the country? Uh, will we take that serious? Um, we want you guys to examine yourself. Um, that's kind of hard to do for men. Um, I, I have this question, a uh, slight rabbit trail, but I wonder why God gave all of us egos. <laughs> you ever thought why God did that? I mean, every man has an ego, right? I mean, I, I've never met a man that didn't have it. I've got an ego. Every man has an ego. And that makes it so hard sometimes to look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me? Because I want to think, There's, I, I'm pretty good. There's not anything wrong with me. And, you know, you think, why did God give us an ego? And there had to be a reason, but... Uh, but nonetheless, we want this to be about looking in the mirror and saying, you know, where do I need to step up? And as I look across here, all of you guys, I, I see a good group of guys. I don't see a bunch of ungodly bad people. I see a, a group of good guys. So again, um, this isn't a, um, not talking to um, ungodly men. I'm talking to godly men who could probably be more godly, starting with the pastor. So um, we want to build units of strong men. We hope as this thing progresses that maybe you, you, we can link up, maybe uh, groups of two and three and four link up and be able to pray with one another and maybe confide in one another and, and work with one another, check on one another. Uh, just just work together in, in building relationships among men. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you know, me and Renee have talked about the, the women, they do all these little mushy mushy feely feely things and the women just eat it up and everything and i said we can't do that here <laughs> you know we we can't we're not it's not that's not gonna fly you know if we have little cute little trinkets and little funny says that's not gonna make us all feel oh that's so cute we're, we can't do that right and sometimes a man we think we you know we got to be tough and we and we're promoting mighty men of valor so we think well I, I can't expose myself to another man but we can be mighty men you know david and jonathan were mighty men of valor and they said that they, they had a love for one another, um, a, a true relationship all the way to death. So, uh, so we can be strong and we can be mighty men and we can still have, have a, a relationships with, uh, with other men um, and, and even be, being vulnerable in that. Um, we have a dream of this growing bigger than Sand Hill. We, we're thankful that um, Eric and Mike have joined us. We're in that, and that, what a blessing that is. But we're, we're hoping that others will join us. We're going to put this online. And we're hoping that this will, will be able to impact men all over because we need godly men everywhere. And so I just, I just say this to everybody here today. It starts with you. It starts with you. Um, will you take this serious? Will, do you want to be a godly man? Will you be a part of this? Will you say, I want to, I want to do what I can to grow in the Lord? Or um, that's a decision only you can make.
Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you this morning, God, I just thank you so much for allowing these men to be here, Lord, for having them gather with us. Lord, how we just love and respect and honor these men. God, how you know, Lord, I, I am not the mightiest among us, Lord. I have nothing to say of myself. But God, I would just ask that you would come down. For Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Lord, you know what these men need, and you know what it takes to be a mighty man. For God, you are the mightiest example that we have to look to. And God, I just ask that you would lead us. God, guard my tongue. Lord, would you just challenge us? Help us that we would learn. Help us that we would be uh, just pushed, Lord, this morning, and challenged and leave, Lord, pressed with the importance of this matter. God, help us that we would be godly, mighty men for your glory. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to start ask, with asking this. I already said this a little bit. How many of you have a wife at home or wherever she's at? How many of you are married? Okay. How many of you have a child or child's at home. How many of you have grandkids at home? Or probably not at home. How many of you have grandkids? Great grandkids? Can I tell you? I have no doubt you love them, yes? You love each of those people we just mentioned. Can I tell you they're what's on the line? They're, they're, they're what's at stake. I've got the, hands down, the cutest little girl at home. Two years old, hands down, the cutest little girl you've ever seen in all your life. Can I tell you every day I pray? That I will be the daddy that she needs. I will be the godly example she needs. I will be the Jesus that she needs to see in a man. Can I tell you that's what's at stake here today? It's, we love our country. Do we love our country? That country can go to pop, but I tell you what, I love that little girl. She's too important for this to fail. And so today we want to give you the answer. We want to challenge you as mighty men. And that's what we're going to talk about. This is mighty men, uh, Missing Mighty Men Part 2. And so... What constitutes, what defines a mighty man? That's the question I want to start with. Uh, Is it strength that defines a biblical mighty man? Is it stature? Is it what makes a man mighty? Because if you look at Isaiah 3, it just says mighty men. It doesn't give any explanation on what that is. It just says mighty man, as if you already know what that is. What is a mighty man? Well, I've got the Hebrew definition here. That's a crazy looking word. The word is gibor. This is in your notes, too. The word means strong, mighty, brave, valiant, chief, excel, and upright. How many of you are brave enough to raise your hand and say that you can honestly say your life is defined by gibor? How many of you can say, oh, that's me, that's mighty right here? Maybe a better question would be, how many of your wives would say that you are Gibor? You are mighty man. I see no hands, including my own. How many of you can raise your hand and say, you know, by that definition, a mighty man? Or you know five or ten or twenty? Do we see no hands are going up? Do we see how far, how crazy far we have fallen? We don't even know a mighty man. We are not one, and we don't even know one. I know thousands of people in church. I know thousands of Christian men that I love and respect. Can I tell you, I don't know that one of them I can think of are defined this way. Where are the mighty men? And so I'd like to propose today that by God's design, according to God's word, by his design, every man, not just some, not just a select few, not just the lucky ones, not the ones he loves or likes the most, every man was meant to be a mighty man. God's intention was that every male ever born and ever created would take up the banner which they were created under and would say, I will be a mighty man. I will be a man of valor. I will be a man of courage. 
And so if you'd allow me this morning, I'd like to give you two reasons why I believe that every man, according to God's design, was meant to be mighty. Every man, no exceptions, everyone by God's design is meant to be mighty. So the first reason is attributes. The first reason that God made all men to be mighty is because of who created man. This is what A.W. Tozer says. We can never know who or what we are until we know at least something of what God is. So we remember in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens, he creates the earth, he creates the sun and the moon and the stars and the lands and the seas. And then we get to Genesis chapter 1, verse 25. And we see a change here. God creates the beasts of the earth in their kind. And then we read verse 26 and 27. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now in verse 25, God said, we'll make beast in their image. But when he creates man, he says, I'll create God in our image, in our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. So God creates everything that's ever existed, and he gets to man, and he pauses, and he does something different than everything else he'd already created. He flexes his creative abilities, and God creates something like he never created before, and this time God creates man, but he does so not in their likeness, not in the likeness of beasts or moons or suns. He creates man in his, God's, likeness. But then notice who God created in his own image. We find in verse 27 that God says God created them man and female. But do you know the problem with that? Guess when Eve is created in Genesis? Chapter 2. Man created chapter 1. Eve, woman, created chapter 2. And so God here says he created man in his image. And in his image created he man. Now, I'm not sure what most of us think that means. I've heard different people all through my life say, oh, well, that must mean that we look like God. But if you've, learned, if you've read the book of Revelations, you know that's not so. If you, some say we, we act like God, we have his behavior. But if you've read the rest of the Bible, you know that's not so, okay? So I'm not sure what exactly we think it means that we are created in his image. And yet God created man. He created man in his own image. God's intent was that man be like God. So what exactly is the image of God that man is supposed to be like? Well, in these same verses, we're going to look at this again. The same verses here. Notice the commands and the responsibility that God gives to man. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he them and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Who else do we know in the Bible? Who else do we read of in the Bible who bears the same attributes? Who, who else do we read of who has dominion? 
Who else do we read of in the Bible who is over all of the earth, who is fruitful, who is plentiful, who multiplies, who replenishes? Who do we read of in the Bible that has these attributes? All of these commands, all of these responsibilities that God gives to a man right here in the first chapter, right out the gate in the Bible, every one of them are attributes of God himself. Man was created in God's image by giving man the responsibilities and the attributes of God himself. But consider what it takes to have dominion. So I don't know how many of you would, we, me and Papa were just joking about his household and he was joking about my household and we were poking at each other whose wife is scarier. Uh, it's argued, we won't have that debate. But what does it mean to have dominion? That, that's not a word we use often anymore. I mean, dominion. What does it mean to have dominion? What does it mean to subdue something and to be over everything? Well, it requires strength. It requires work, labor, efforts. But do you know what else it requires? It requires laying aside your wants and putting the wants of others first. God didn't create the animals with this responsibility. God didn't create woman with this responsibility. He didn't create Eve, put her in the garden over the animals and over the land. He put Adam, man, in the garden over his creation. It wasn't the animals. It wasn't woman. It wasn't even the angels that he put over all. God created man and put man over all in his image. He intended that man would be mighty enough, strong enough to take charge, take responsibility, and to keep it all together and emulate God's image. So we're created in God's image, right? I think this is up here. It's not. We're created in God's image. I want, I want to just give you a couple verses here. These are uh, listed in your notes. We're not going to read through them. We're going to tell you what, you, what they say. We're created in God's image. Do you know that Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 says that God, Jesus, is over all principality, over all powers, might, dominion, and every name is under the feet of Jesus. Psalms 8, 6 and Hebrews 2, 8 both say that Jesus has dominion and subjection over all things, and all things are under his feet. Psalm 72, 8 says, Solomon writes, that Christ will have dominion from sea to sea until the ends of the earth. God is a God of dominion. He rules, he reigns, he subdues, he is over all. And guess what, guys? He created us to do likewise. Now, as Pastor already said, we're not telling you to beat your chest and take charge. But he did lay a responsibility at your feet. Men were created in God's image to have dominion. But then notice the other command that we see God giving here. He gave them the responsibility of dominion, rule over, rule over, rule over, subdue, over, dominion over. But then notice God says to be fruitful and multiply. And just like having dominion is an attribute of God, multiplying and being fruitful, guess who else we read of doing that in the Bible? That's also something God does. God comes to Abraham and he says in Genesis chapter 17, verses 22 and 17, I will make a covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful. I will bless thee in multiplying. I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sands upon the seashore. God here tells Abraham that he, God, will multiply. He, God, will make Abraham fruitful. And in himself, having these attributes, God creates man in his image and he tells tells man, go do the same. Go be fruitful. Go multiply. Go replenish. 
we find God giving us charge to be like him. We, we read all through the Bible of God being a God that replenishes. The cruise of oil for the woman. We read of uh, Jesus multiplying fishes and loaves. We read of all of these teen, times over and over and over where God multiplies and God multiplies and God multiplies. And guess what? He tells us to do the same. But there's one more attribute of God that I want us to consider. And this is maybe my favorite of the three attributes that we're going to look at today. Notice, I love this. Notice what God tells Abraham. So God appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and God says this, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. What does God call himself here? How does God introduce himself to Abraham? Hello, my name is Almighty God. Now we are, let me pause here before you start reading into this. Go home and tell your wife, I am almighty. Don't, please don't do that. Let me clarify here that we are not almighty, however, we are created in the image of an almighty God. So if you think of the word almighty, if you think of it not how we spell it in English, but if you think of the word all, A-L-L, and mighty, he's almighty. He's the completion, the perfection, the fulfillment of might. He's almighty, capital M, mighty. And so he calls us the same to be mighty as he is mighty. Not almighty, just mighty. We're lowercase mighty. Does it not make sense that we're called to be in his image, mighty as he is almighty? By God's design, by God's plan, we are called to be mighty men. His intent, his desires for each man that has ever lived to be mighty because we serve a God who is mighty. That's who he is. Men are created in God's image. We are created by God's design to be like him. Are we strong? Are we hard workers? Are we giving ourselves for others? Do we have dominion in God's kingdom? Are we mighty men for the almighty God who created us? When the world looks at your life, when your wife looks at your life, when your child, your grandchild, your neighbor, your coworker, when they look at you, do they see the God in whose image you were created? When they talk to you, do they leave understanding more of who God was than before they talk to you? Because that was God's intent. And yet I don't talk to a lot of men that way. My life is nowhere near what it should be. But that was God's design. That was God's intent, was that we would show this world who he is. So that brings us to B, ability. So quickly, I want to quickly go through a second reason. By God's design, again, stay with me, we are going through why God created men to be mighty, every man to be mighty. And the second reason is ability. If we remember in Genesis chapter 1, God creates all the beasts of the ground, but he makes a distinctive difference in man. What is the difference between man and beast? Well, we find out after the fall of man, after they sin, God curses the serpent. Will you remember that? God curses the serpent. And what was his curse? He will go on his belly and he will eat of the dust of this earth. This is found in Genesis 3.14. And so the difference between man and beast, by God's design, is that man was meant to walk upright. I noticed when you all came in, none of you came in on all fours. I'm grateful for that. That would have been awkward for all of us to watch. We all came in on two upright feet. But do you know that 
in Isaiah 3 that we started with, that word there, Gabor, that word mighty man, do you know, if you look in your notes, what is that last word there that defines a mighty man? Upright. Calls us to be upright men. Now, that doesn't mean that you're walking on two feet, I must be a mighty man. That's not what that means. It means that you are upright. Your character, who you are, is lived in an upright manner, an upstanding manner. Your life as a whole is based vertically, upright, not horizontally. Do we get the difference? The serpent lived on his belly. He lived horizontally. He ate of the dust, the things that would be decayed in this earth. That's what he ate of. He lived for himself horizontally. Man was created to live vertically. This again is an attribute of God. Now this isn't something you, you got to use some mind, you got to use some thinking here. God created us to be in his image because he is a vertical God. God is a God that lives and acts vertically. Why, why would we say that? What would make God vertical? Well, the entire Bible. The entire Bible is a story of a God who gives himself to undeserving man. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If God is in heaven and we're down here and he gives us his son, which direction is that? Vertical. God gives Moses the law. God gives of prophets and uh, angels. God messages. God gives us his Holy Spirit. God gives us salvation. God gives us redemption. God is a vertical God. A God who gives himself, who pours out of himself to others. And guess what, guys? He's called us to do the same. Men were meant to be like God, not like Satan who lives horizontally, not like Satan who lives for himself, not like Satan who eats of the dust of this ground, of this earth. We were meant to be like God, giving ourselves to others. Men were created in God's image, upright, vertically living, living a life of giving to others, a life of expending ourselves for others, of doing the difficult thing because it's the right thing. It is by God's design that man, not woman, save the day. It's by God's design that man protect his family and guard his home. But just as much, it is by God's design that we would live vertically, giving ourselves to the work of the Lord, giving ourselves to the diligence of his duties and the cause of Christ. We were created to walk upright and live upright. And when we do, we are living like the image of God. I, 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 I love all of you guys. I'm so, so grateful each of you are here. I have the utmost respect for, for you guys, and I'm just so grateful to have you with us. And I would, I would venture to say, I've not been to all of your homes, but I would venture to say, if someone broke in in the middle of the night, you wouldn't tap your wife on the shoulder and say, your turn, you go get them, while you hide under the covers. I would hope not. I would lose a lot of respect for you if you said you did that. However... Can I tell you there's someone a lot more scary than a burglar at midnight breaking into your homes? Can I tell you there is an enemy who is attacking your home daily, your wife daily, your children daily, your grandchildren daily, your country, your church. There is someone breaking in every day with wiles of the devil, and guess whose job it is to protect? Guess whose job it is to take a stand? It is not your wife. Men, where is our might? Men. Are we living vertically or are we living horizontally?
God's plan from the beginning was for men to be made mighty, as he is almighty. It takes God to be a man. Man, that is, as God intended man to be. Man, I love that quote. That's a quote to live by. It takes God to be a man. Man, that is, as God intended man to be. So I'll move along quickly. We're almost done. Motives of a mighty man. So what exactly motivates or or makes a man want to be mighty? So this is the thing, guys. While you don't get to choose your gender, you do choose to be a mighty man. And guess what? That's why we're not seeing mighty men, because you have to choose to be so. Rabbit trail real quickly. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm old. <laughs> Maybe none of you are thinking that. But you could be thinking that. I'm old. I'm, too, I'm done past the mighty stage. Can I tell you Joshua and Moses were in their 80s as mighty men? Can I tell you David was a teenager? Can I tell you everywhere in between we find men who are mighty for God? Age has nothing to do with might. You can become a mighty man at any stage in life. You just have to choose to be that mighty man. So, maybe you've decided you want to be mighty. Ask yourself, do I want to be mighty? Do you want to be mighty? Thank you, Mike. Do you want to be mighty? I see where our problem lies. Thank you, Miguel. Thank you. There you go, Miguel. (laughs) So, though mighty men are found throughout the whole Bible... Possibly my favorite and the greatest, greatest illustration of mighty men is found with David and his mighty men. The pastor already uh, t- touched on this. So David is anointed king. We know this. David's anointed king. And as a young boy, he's anointed king in Israel. However, there's a problem. There's already a king in Israel. And so, in fact, he's a jealous king. And so, for this reason, David lives as the legitimate God-chosen king. He lives on the run As God's chosen king lives on the run, hiding from Saul for years. But what's fascinating is that while David was hiding in the caves and craters uh, on on the run as a ruler, he was never alone. There was never a time we read of David being alone on the run. He was always surrounded constantly by mighty men on every side. So what would motivate men back in David's day, today as well, what would motivate men to leave their homes, to leave their families, to leave their reputations, their careers, and follow a king without a throne. What would motivate them to be mighty men? I'd like to take a look at three quick motives this morning. Three motives that would motivate mighty men. The first one is cause. Each of David's mighty men were motivated and were driven by a cause worth fighting for. Notice what 1 Chronicles 11.10 says. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had, who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel, to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. David's mighty men knew that David, not Saul, David was God's chosen man. These mighty men knew that the will of God was a worthy cause. And for this reason, they would risk their lives and their homes and their reputations. They would be willing to lay everything on the line for the cause of God's man, David. Mighty men of our day are first and foremost motivated By the cause of Christ. As believers, 
We have found a king who right now does not appear to have a physical throne that we can see. Just like David, he was given a throne. He is the king, yet we follow him without seeing that throne. He is worth laying our lives down for. He is worth defending and standing strong on behalf of. We have a lack of mighty men among us. We have a lack of bravado and the belief of the cause of Christ. We don't grasp how important this is. And so for that reason, why would I give anything up for that? Why would I be mighty on that behalf? Jesus told us to count the cost before following him. He says, take up your cross and follow him. Lay down your life, leave it all behind and follow him. And for this cause in Christ, nearly all of the disciples were martyred, killed. The history of the church is written in red of the blood of the people who gave their lives on behalf of the cause of Christ. Where has that gone in the church? Where has that disappeared to? We won't even show up for a breakfast. You're all here so you don't count. We won't even show up for church. We won't even sacrifice this or give that or slightly make ourselves inconvenience. Where are the men who will lay their lives down for the cause of Christ? Mighty men are motivated by the cause of Christ. It's what fuels us. It's what drives us. It's what keeps us from giving up. Not our traditions, not our preferences, not our comforts. It is the cause of Christ that we become mighty for. And so I ask, men, is there not a cause? If you want to be a mighty man, I want you to ask yourself, how passionate... How saturated, how engulfed is my life in the cause of Christ? Because that's where it starts to be a mighty man. Second motivation is courage. I love this. You can't read the story of David and his mighty men without finding courage dripping off the pages. The second motivation of mighty men in David's day was courage. These men were fearless. And I don't mean like fearless like we see today. I mean something I've never heard of fearless. Consider a few of the courageous encounters of David's mighty men. Jeshobim, sure. He killed 800 men with a spear. One man, one spear, 800 men slain. That takes some courage. Yes? Yes? Uh, Eliezer fought so fearlessly that his hand stuck. It was stuck, clinging to the sword. Shammah defended against the entire Philistine army by himself in a wheat field. Him against the entire army. I don't know how many of you would be courageous enough to stand up to Iraq by yourself, or Afghanistan, or Russia, whoever you're standing up, stand up to their entire military alone to defend a field. That's what he did. That's courage. Abishai killed 300 men. He also killed the son of a giant. Benaniah killed a lion. He killed men who were like lions, and he killed giants. This is courage. Can we all agree? This is courage. There came a point, I love, this is one of my favorite David stories. Came a point in David's life where he's on the run, he's got his mighty men around him, and he just really wants to drink a cold water from a certain well. The problem was, that particular well was behind enemy lines. It was forbidden. He couldn't get to it. Mere men would discount the desires of David, but mighty men 
were full of courage. They were focused entirely on what their king wanted and were willing to do anything it took. And guess what? They sneaked behind enemy lines for a sip of water for their king that he would pour out anyways. That's courage. How many of you can say you would do anything that your king desires, no matter the cost, no matter the fear, no matter the enemy, anything my king wants, he gets. I will be the one to go. I will be the one to do it. That's courage. That's mighty men. Many of us are doing well to even show up for the battle in the first place, let alone to go on a secret ops mission that wasn't required. That's what these mighty men did. Where are the mighty men of courage in Christ? Where are the mighty men who are fearless in faith, who stand against the wiles of the devil, who to this world will not relent? Where are those who are so courageous they believe God and his word and they live accordingly? Mighty men who defend the defenseless, who lift up the downtrodden, who stand in the gap. Where are the mighty men who will not only go to battle for their beliefs, but who will audaciously admit Whatever my king wants, my king gets, I will be the one to go. My life is for my king to expend, to spill out, to pour out. Just like David's mighty men, they knew that God had said David would be king. And so they trusted God in his word, and they acted accordingly. Do we have such trust in God and his word? He says Christ is king. He says that no weapon shall be formed against us. He says that we are more than conquerors in Christ. There is nothing in this world that can defeat us. We have the victory. Do we believe it? And do we live courageously as such? Do we believe it enough to base our lives and trust on this courage? Where are the mighty men who are courageous in Christ? Here's a great quote from a guy named C.T. Studd. If Jesus... Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. How many of us can say that's us? This courage, this is the motivation of a mighty man. There's one last motivation. This is one of our biggest reasons for starting this ministry. Camaraderie. David's mighty men were motivated by camaraderie. Where David went, his mighty men went. Whether it was a cave, whether it was a battle, whether it was enemy lines, wherever their king went, the mighty men followed. It was this same camaraderie among David's men themselves that kept them motivated. Well, if CJ's going to be there, I'm going too. It motivated them. It built something up in them. Their united focus was on the cause of their king and not their own desires. And for this reason, we don't find David's mighty men infighting and jealous and bickering with one another, complaining and competition. We find over and over that David's mighty men worked together to fight their foes and they won. Continually, these men came along side by side with one another to accomplish what their king requested. How the church is lacking camaraderie among men. We are too, listen, we are too inwardly focused on ourselves. We are men too selfish, too self-centered, too horizontal. This is why we don't see camaraderie. I can't think of Steve's best interest when I'm thinking about myself. 
This is why we have no camaraderie among one another. We are too inwardly focused, too selfish, too self-centered, too busy living horizontal lives. We want what we want, when and where and how we want it. And when this is the case, everything is an argument. Everything is a competition. And suddenly, even the church becomes so focused on ourselves that we begin opening friendly fire. We begin losing focus on what really matters. Mighty men refuse. Mighty men refuse to attack a fellow man. Mighty men refuse to seek their own interests, their own wants, their own desires. Mighty men come alongside one another. They link arms and they unite in a mutual motivation, which is camaraderie in Christ. Where are the mighty men? Where are the mighty men willing to set aside our differences? To set aside, lay lay aside our preferences. Willing to lay ourselves aside. Willing to lay ourselves down for our fellow men. In order that we can unite in our fellowship and faith for Christ. Where are the mighty men who find common ground in serving God with all their heart? with all their soul, with all their mind, and with all their strength. Where are the mighty men whose hearts are knit together like David and Jonathan, who are so knit together that they strengthen one another in the body of Christ? When I'm with Mike, I am stronger afterwards because we have camaraderie and we are strengthened in the cause of Christ after we depart from one another. Where is the camaraderie among our brothers in Christ? We need mighty men who will return to camaraderie in Christ. And so the tales... The tales of mighty men seem to have faded in history past. We all admit at the beginning, we, we, don't, we don't know any mighty men. We've gone so long and so far without seeing mighty men in our generations that we've fallen for the lie that they just can't exist anymore. And yet it only takes one man. Listen to me. It takes one one man, not 12, not 100, not 50, one man to bring back might into the men of God. It's interesting. The Bible speaks about mighty men in the days of Joshua. And then if you go through the history, it almost seems as if the mighty men disappear until the days of David. Do you know that's almost a 400-year gap that mighty men seemingly disappeared No mention of mighty men. I don't know how many years it's been since we've had men who will fight lions and kill 800 men with a spear. I don't know how long it's been, but it could have been about 400 years from now. It's about time we get some mighty men around here. It's about time we rise together. We stand together and we invigorate ourselves with the power of Christ within us. Today, may I challenge us and may I remind us that this was, this is, and this will always be God's plan for every man. Every man was meant to be mighty. We are mighty because he is all mighty. Do we have any men among us who are willing to do whatever it takes to be a mighty man in the kingdom of God? Do we have any men who are motivated by the cause of Christ and the courage of camaraderie? Where are the mighty men among us? I've got one last quote for you here. Maybe my favorite quote of the day. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let us not guide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it, listen to this, let us see to it that the devil will hold a thanksgiving service in hell when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. 
To your knees, men! And to your Bibles! Decide at once! Don't hedge! Time flies! Cease your insults to God! Quit consulting flesh and blood! Stop! Stop your lame lying and inward focus and excuses! Enlist! CT stuff. Men, you can be that mighty man. You can be the man that God uses to bring back what he intended for a man to be. Are we willing to do what it takes to be a mighty man? Well, thanks so much for joining us here for our first session of the Sandhill Men's Ministry. We hope that your soul has been stirred and that your faith has been fortified in what God has called each of us to be as a man. Well, Sandhill will be offering a meeting for men who are up for the challenge on a monthly basis, and we would love to have you join us live in person at the Sandhill Ministry Center or live via video call using Google Meets. You, of course, are also welcome to follow up with this ministry as a monthly study that will be made available by video as well. For more information about the Sandhill Men's Ministry or to attend our next meeting or for additional content such as podcast and Christian content and much more, please visit our website at www.sandhillfwb.com. Thanks again so much for joining us today.